The warriors began to fade until they were little more than a starry sheen around the slopes of the hollow, and then they were gone. Leafpaw caught one more breath of spotted leaf scent before that faded too. She looked up and saw that the sky was growing brighter. Sorreltail was standing at the top of the hollow, looking down at her. Leafpaw ran up the path to join her. Did you see them? she asked excitedly. Sorreltail dipped her head on one side. See who? Star Clan! They were here, all around the hollow. I spoke to Blue Star and Feathertail for some reason. Leafpaw trailed off when she saw that Sorreltail was looking bewildered and a little wary. I saw a bright mist rising from the pool, she mewed hesitantly. That must have been them, Leafpaw told her. She gazed around the hollow with the sound of tumbling starlit water filling her ears. This is the place. Are you sure? At that moment, the rays of the moon caught the surface of the water, and pure white light flooded the hollow. Yes, I'm sure, Leafpaw mewed. We no longer have the moonstone. We have the moon pool. This is the place where StarClan will share tongues with us. She turned to Sorreltail, feeling her fur glitter with starlight. We found it! This is where the clans are meant to be! Spencer Grant, and you're listening to Four Trees, a Warrior Cats community podcast. Last week, I was joined by Invader Fuzzy Talon to discuss the book Starlight. Invader Fuzzy Talon, for those of you who are not in the know, is a very cool Warrior Cats artist. He does animation. He actually has a really neat YouTube channel where he has this like five-part series about Warrior Cats and how the book series interacts with ecology and how ecology functions in real life, which I would seriously suggest listening to or watching uh, if you get the chance, because um, we do talk a little bit about science stuff in this uh, episode, and I'm not sure how much context you would need for that because we do get pretty like basic on in terms of that, but it would be um, it honestly like educate yourself. It's fun, but um, anyways, let's just uh, we, we we talked about the book uh, Starlight. We discussed how disappointed we were in Brambleclaw, how disappointed we were in uh, the way that the plot progresses, and how disappointed we are um, in just about everything else that this book has to offer. So if you're interested in listening to that discussion and you haven't heard it already, I would suggest listening to that before listening to this one, just so you may have a better idea of what we're on about and catch any jokes or references we started in the previous episode. I was same as I was, as you were like, oh, we'll read Starlight. And I was like, okay, I remember a grand total of one thing that happens in that book. And, it, and dang if it didn't happen. Man, it sure did. I miss, I, I, it's easy to say I miss when things happened. And I, I know I've already said it once, so I'll try to avoid saying it again. But like, at the very least, I miss when characters were a little bit smarter about thinking when things didn't happen. Yeah. Like, Bramble, I remember when Brambleclaw was a kid, uh... And he's like Bramblepaw. He like ran to the two leg place to hang out on the fence. Uh, and Firestar was also there. And he was like, "Hey, Bramblepaw, what's up? It's me, your mentor, Fireheart." Um, and Bramblepaw was like, "Hey, like I know that you don't like me because I look just like my dad. And I think that that's kind of messed up of you. And I know it's something I'm gonna have to be facing for my entire life. But you know, I just feel like sometimes it's a lot of pressure to put on one cat, and I don't think it's particularly fair. Um, and 
then uh, Firestar was like, whoa, okay, and he stopped, uh, you know, judging Brambleclaw for basically the entire rest of the series. And, like, what happened to that kid? Oh, and now that kid's grown up, but now he takes it personally. It sucks. I, like, is he still, like, a teenager? Like, I don't know what the, the dealio is with the cats. And I have no idea what the age conversion is on this. I feel like well, how you, you, to some extent, studied cats for your, for your uh, thesis and, and such. Like, yeah. did that give you any insight as to how to interpret some of the stuff in these books at all? Uh... I mean, sexual maturity in a cat's like around six months. So I would say, mm-hmm. you know, early teen is apprentice age. Okay. Makes a lot of uh, relationships a lot less uh, uncomfortable, which I guess is an okay thing. Like it's still, still pretty young, but like by the time that they receive warrior name, they're probably at least late mm-hmm. at the earliest. So like, does it, 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 it's, does it like, I don't know, arrest at some point where they, they just kind of plateau and start being... Yep. Probably. Another thing that I notice in these books is, like, the way that these cats age is very funny between, like, the first arc and wherever we are currently. Where, like, Mousefur was, like, a young warrior in the very first book, and now she's already like, I am old and frail and dying. I assume to some extent it's because of the fact that, like, these cats are picking up all kinds of crazy diseases and worms, and while the medicine cats can to some extent mitigate it, I don't think that they can take care of it completely. I think these cats are falling apart at the seams by the time that they reach these age because they picked up so many diseases that they would normally, uh, I don't know, see a vet about or something, or like die on their own about. And what they've managed to do is mitigate the symptoms, but not the uh, actual thing. That's my headcanon. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if like the events in like the first half of this series is maybe some form of trauma on their bodies that they're just like, okay, we are all old pretty fast. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that um, it definitely did something to, to Crowfeather, if not mentally, then physically, because, like, I feel bad for that kid. Yeah. I feel like he, he got... I, I mentioned this a few episodes ago, but I know that nobody listens to this, so <laughs> I'll, I'll repeat it. I, I feel like Crowfeather really got the short end of the stick insofar as, like, his, I don't know, entire personality goes like his um basically as soon as he was introduced to the other prophecy cats he had uh i don't know he he boxed himself into this heuristic where he's like all right i don't trust these guys so i'm gonna be super abrasive and like kind of mean um because you know they're not cool like my wind clan friends are and basically throughout the entire rest of their journey he's kind of whenever they think about him uh, without talking to him, they're thinking about him within the context of that first impression. And consequently, uh, you know, they're less inclined to think well of him, and he's less inclined to think well of them because of the way that they react to, you know, his behavior. But, like, he's just a kid. Everybody's a, a, a moody teen at one point. I was an awful teen, I'll say it. it it's like... I feel really bad for him because like now basically, you know, they come back and he's forced to interact. He's, he's taken a very, I don't know, personal experience with these cats who are only treating him like, you know, when he how he treated them when he was a kid. At no point did their relationship ever evolve. And the only person it ever evolved with was Feathertail, who is now dead, um, which is kind of sad. Uh, and by the time he gets back, now he's kind of forced to act within those trappings again around the other cats and his family because it's so irrevocably changed a, a big part of who he is. So now he's just kind of stuck being a jerk for the rest of his life. 
because, you know, he decided that he did not immediately trust these prophecy cats who were all already friends. And it, like, paints him for the rest of the series, too, because I know everyone's super mm-hmm. divided on Crowfeather. That I wouldn't be surprised if part of that is just because we get a lot of perspective chapters from characters who don't like him. Because he's very standoffish, yeah. at least in the beginning. I, I, I just, I feel for the kid. I don't know if, if any of the other characters in the new prophecy <laughs> merit uh, that kind of in-depth thinking. Um, but also, I worry to some extent, because I think that uh, trying to forgive uh, male characters who are awful um, is setting a bad precedent for events that might happen in the future. I don't know what goes on with Ashfur, but I know that something goes on with Ashfur because everybody's talking about stuff that happens with Ashfur, and I worry. Um, and I guess we're seeing the start of that in this book when uh, when Squirrel Flight has her new best friends that she hangs out with because Brambleclaw is too busy uh, being indoctrinated into right-wing um, politics. It sucks because everyone is like very good in the first arc, pretty good in the first half of this arc and then it's like okay we have plot to get to time to start breaking apart relationships and character dynamics like i I wouldn't mind that so much if the dynamics were like more interesting than just like these two characters stare at each other and think about things like at the very least i don't know some unlikely friendships would be cool i would like to see like i don't know leafpaw getting along really well with brambleclaw because, you know, they both have one thing in common and, you know, this drives tension between Squirrel Flight and Leafpaw because now, you know, she feels like she has something that she can't relate with Leafpaw with and, you know, it, I don't know, it would be cool, it would be interesting. <laughs> but, like, all it is is this, um, I don't know, it, it's, Jane Austen does it best. You know, if you read Pride and Prejudice, you see these characters staring at each other and thinking about things, mm-hmm. you're like, dang, this is engaging, this is beautiful. You know, I read Emma and I'm like, whoa, this is incredible. Somebody should make a movie about a high schooler setting up two of her teachers. Th- that would rock. Paul Rudd should be in it. But, um, you know, if I, if I I read these books and it's just boring. I don't know what they're what about it that they're not doing right, but something feels extremely wrong and it's frustrating. Mm. I feel like they don't have the right build up here. Yeah, that could be a lot of it. I think that... Um, well, they, they say in storytelling uh, that the, an issue with the third act is always an issue with the first act. Um, and I don't know if this is either. I feel like this these books are all second act, and that might be itself a pretty big issue. Yeah. There's never, like, really good establishing. There's never fantastic payoff. We are just stuck yeah, in the second like, act. What's the, what's the problem at the start of this book? The big problem at the start of this book. The cats need to... The cats are at the lake, but they don't know how they're going to settle in. What gets resolved at the end of the book? The cats are settled in. Cool. Mm-hmm. We've got ourselves a like cohesive tie from the beginning to the end. That's great. What do we do in between then? Literally nothing. Nothing happens. They just sit around for like a month and then... If Tallstar didn't die, even less would happen. That's true. <laughs> Tallstar dies, declaring that race wars are complete BS, and then nothing happens. And everyone's like, actually, I don't like that. Tallstar was the closest we had to world peace. If only. I just... What worries me, too, is that, like, with Clan becoming so prescient, I feel like that revelation might not even have any meaning because, I don't know, maybe at some point Tallstar will come back from the dead as a ghost and be like, actually, I was joking, ooh, um, or something like that. I don't freaking know. Like, do, do non-ThunderClan leaders get resurrected? I know that ThunderClan is the only important one uh, since we've only seen Blue Star, but, like, mm. it would be cool. I guess Shadow Clan leaders get resurrected too. They just only get to hang out in Brambleclaw and uh, Hawkfrost streams. So I also love the fact that uh, 
when Leafpaw sees all the dead cats at the moon pool, at no point does Tallstar come over and is like, by the way, I meant what I said. It would be good. I, well, she didn't know what he said. I don't think she was there. It was just uh, Fire, Firestar and Brambleclaw no. was also there for some reason. Um, I guess because, like... I mean, wouldn't that be something if it's like, oh, we finally got a message from StarClan. Also, yeah, One Whisker, you are, in fact, ordained to lead. It would, would be cool. It would be very cool if we could just, you know, clear that up. If StarClan could talk to us instead of being, like, deliberately obtuse about everything. Uh, what? Instead, they're like, actually, we need a gathering place. Here, yeah. Mudclaw. We should have, like, a really cool prophecy or something like that. Quick, somebody make something up, and then we'll just, like, try to influence cats to fulfill it. I think it might be fun. That feels a lot of what StarClan's about. StarClan confuses me to n- no end here. I-, I-, I liked it back when they were of religion. This this mm-hmm. When they felt a lot more ethereal. And now they're just kind of like, well, this sure is a dead cat. It's a, it's a shame. They've somehow managed to squander the most interesting part of, like, a, a cat ghost existing by making the cat ghosts extremely uninteresting and a little bit foolish. Yeah. God, there was this other part in this book where Brambleclaw was, like, thinking to himself. Basically, every five pages uh, in this book, Brambleclaw is, like... This feels like the final step in the journey that began with the dream that sent me to the Sundrown place. And I guess this book is where we saw the last of it, when they uh, when they started taking everybody back to their home territories. That was about it. Um, but man, it was like for the first half when they were exploring the territories and looking for, you know, places to live, which was like a really, it was a really long portion of this book for no reason. Yeah, I was surprised how long that took, both in terms of two days and also that it was like a solid third of the book. It just doesn't make any... Whatever, whatever. I should... I'm I'm over it. I'm a grown-up. I can fight my own battles and and exist in my own head. I don't need to think about this. It's it's just so, so freaking goofy. I... Okay, so you at some point did study wildlife ecology. Whether or not you were continuing to do that, I think you Mm. mentioned that you were like not going to because you're more interested in the animation stuff or what's the dealio with the with you know your your thing i'm a person mm-hmm. of many interests uh so as far as any of these postgraduate things going on not entirely sure what i'm doing except for a whole lot of art all over the place i respect that uh could you so in in regards to what what, what in particular uh did you study uh insofar as I don't know, ecology stuff, because I know you said you didn't know very much about plants, uh, and that was about it. Yeah, the wildlife ecology or wildlife management certificate on the side, which was, in my case, a lot of like learning about North American animals, learning about ecology, things like that. That does sound really cool. So as a, as a person who is uniquely qualified to know things about North American animals, what was your take on uh, this lake territory? Did, did you notice any, like, interesting stuff, any inaccurate stuff, any ridiculous stuff while they were going around for, like, 60 freaking pages talking about this lake territory looking for places to live? I mean, for sure the original territories were mm-hmm. based off England. You know, they're still talking about things like hedgehogs. There's only been one sighting of a mountain lion, which... Either, A, I know sometimes big cats get loose in England. That's apparently really? a phenomenon. Uh, I've, like, heard of it. I don't know there's, like, the Bedtime Stories YouTube channel of, like, oh, scary stories. There's something in England. And it's, like, half the time this scary creature is just, whoops, some rich person accidentally let mm-hmm. their big cat free. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's sometimes a thing that's that a- would happen. I would not doubt that that's a thing you could leave a mountain lion 
out there. Has that ever happened in uh, the States? Yeah. I mean, I know you had mentioned in passing one time that, like, this could be Eastern U.S.? Yeah. Uh, or Canada or something of the like? The fandom says it's New York. I know that there's no mountain lions in the Eastern U.S. They're all, like, as far east as they're going as, like, the Florida Panther. Maybe it's not a mountain lion. Maybe it's a So puma. I don't really see that. As well as the fact that there's never any large mammals. Maybe maybe it's a cougar? It's all the, there's so many different names. Could be a puma. Could be a cougar. Mountain lion. Catamount? Catamount? Apparently. That's a new one. Catamount. Catamount? There's so many names for mountain this lion. Is ta- for this reason. is taking a while to, to sink into my head. I, <laughs> ca- catamount? Apparently. Oh, that's messed up, man. Puma oh con color. What have I got myself into? Catamount? This is the final straw. <laughs> I'm, I'm so tired. You've had a long day. It's time for a nap. I can't take a nap. I got a live stream in a, in a couple of hours. Oh, no. That's fine. Live streams are easy. A couple I'll just... of hours. It's time for a nap in there. You just pass out and then come right back. I did math class all the time. Oh, nice. I was never that cool to, like, sleep in math class. What I did do was um, there was a guy who sat next to me who played Isaac every day, and I would just watch him play Isaac while my teacher talked about, like, tangents and stuff. And that was... Yeah, that sounds I, like a thing to do. I wouldn't doubt it. I could never I could never nap, though. Like, napping in school always frightened me, because, like, what if I got caught, you know? What if I got in trouble? I was saying, I got really good at the process of still looking like I was semi-conscious, but then my notes are just a giant page of scribbles oh so it's it's not like the close eye kind of nap it's the the uh stare into infinity. oh it was and it was like very much i am still in a somewhat upright position and i am trying so hard to take notes it is not working that's impressive then if you can <laughs> learn how to draw while sleeping i feel like that's the kind of thing you could like put up in an art like one set of notes from herpetology where it's like the title slide a whole bunch <laughs> of scribbles a note where I just say sleepy, and then I try to draw a graph. Wait, herpetology isn't math. No, that was... Why are you was, sleeping during uh, lizard class? Yeah, was, because sometimes you get tired. Especially, I think that one was like a 9 a.m. class. 9 a.m., oh my god. Somebody's freaking stop this madman. He's sleeping at 9 a.m., Jesus. Wait, what's the... What's boring? What's so boring about lizards that you can't stay awake during herpetology? I can't. Nine. The fact a- that I was tired. Fine. Yeah, that's fair. Whatever. It's it's nine p.m. over here, and I'm freaking losing it. I understand. I guess I can't chastise you too much for not being awake at nine in the morning. Did you have eggs that day? What? Did you have eggs that day? Like to eat with your mouth? Probably not. Ah, uh, must have been it, dude. If you had eggs, I guarantee you'd be awake the entire freaking time during that herpetology class, thinking about how lizards lay eggs. Unlock the secret. Got to go back to college and start taking. <laughs> those 8 a.m's yeah. where no one else will that's the honestly it's the keys to the kingdom i talked to my brother about eggs recently i was like cole gotta eat eggs and he looked at me and he said what the frick are you talking about except for that he used a, a stronger word that i'm not gonna gonna repeat here because that will make more work for me later to censor it with the sound of me strumming a violin mm. and I, I said cole seriously it's all about eggs and then uh he ignored me and now he's got to wake up at like 4 a.m to take his online classes because the school is in new york and he's back in california and uh he rings me every once in a while and says, hey, Spencer, it's all about those eggs. And I'm like, yeah, I told you. You can't pull the... Uh, Bringing out the real wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah, this is this is what people tune into Four Trees for. <laughs> These extra little tidbits that you wouldn't know unless you got this far in the mm-hmm, podcast. Mm-hmm. 
This this stuff weirds me out, man. Like, people are listening to this. I thought I was just doing this for me, but apparently there's like an audience of like a significant amount of people, a significant more amount of people than than just me who are like putting this on. Like, oh yeah, can't wait to see what Spencer's got to say today. And it's like, what are you talking? <laughs> what do you mean you can't? I'm just gonna talk about eggs for half an hour. Like, that's not. This isn't. Whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll stop getting meta. Um. It's definitely not in New York, then, these books. No, I wouldn't think so. Another thing that mm -hmm. isn't super surprising, because that would just create a lot of whatever the heck's going on, never see any large mammals, except for, like, the horses. How, what would you call a large mammal? Cause... And the sheep. Like, nothing non-domestic. Well, I feel like I, I don't have that great of a definition of that as a city boy who only goes into the forest to, um, I don't know, yeah. do city boy things. Vape, I guess? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what was the name of that class? There's a vaping class? Like large. No. No, not the vaping class. All right. Uh, now we had habitat management, small wildlife. I want whichever one the big wildlife was, but whatever. In that class, I think we defined it as anything larger than 50 pounds. Okay. What, what would be larger than bears? Which I think like, hmm. yeah. I mean, there's no bears anywhere. Um, nothing like, oh gosh, what's the name of the animal? Bighorn sheep, nothing like elk, oh. deer, moose. That's a, that's a good point. I forgot about deer. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't seen at least like one deer just in the forest. Do bears exist in the UK? I wonder. If, I feel like I haven't seen one recently. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Could be wrong, but I don't think so. We have uh, we have foxes for sure. We have got weird badgers. We don't have oh, raccoons. If we see a raccoon, that's going to cinch it because I know those are uh, North American exclusive. Fun little North American exclusive, except for also in, I think, Germany and Japan, because they're like, we can import this, and then they just go everywhere. Oh, really? Oh, that's messed up. I mean... Yeah, I remember we had to do uh, had to do the German AP test in, like, I think 2015, and there was an entire, like, written portion on the raccoon. It's like, oh, apparently they have those in Germany. I mean, first of all, props for uh, knowing enough German to take the AP test, because I know that's hard. Uh, and secondly... <laughs> That's incredible, and I don't know how I feel about it. How, so are they, like, just in Germany, or have they, like, spread all around? Because I, I feel like raccoons don't have very much respect for human borders. But also, I don't know to the extent that, of, of which they roam. I don't think they've gone super far. I was surprised doing uh, the mm -hmm. thesis research that tanukis very much in Europe. What? For some reason. And little uh, Japanese raccoon dogs. Yeah. Apparently, I... there's a lot of them in... Uh, I want to say the Baltic area. I, not the best geography, but... That's fine. Nobody... I know when I was looking things up and it's like, oh, these badger sets, a uh, lot of tanukis just chilling That's around wild. them. Was there, were there any other surprising discoveries you uh, learned whilst doing that research? I wouldn't say super surprising discoveries. It, isn't... Uh... There was so much research that I had to go into those. That's fair. I guess like by by a certain point you kind of have an idea about what you're like what the what the idea is and you're just kind of looking for more numbers to yeah. support what you say. But it's science. Yeah, I mean mm -hmm. to some degree I've been trained in this, so me just searching for like I know what I'm trying to look for and if I find things that back it up. I think it would be more surprising. To find stuff that doesn't. Uh hearing from anyone who's not so familiar with any ecology or those kind of ideas, what they felt about.
about any of the research. That's fair. I think uh, whenever, I mean, I, I've never studied a hard science, uh, unfortunately. They, they don't let me. They say uh, my, my hands are too delicate for it. Um, but in a lot of soft sciences, you have this problem where, like, if you're, if you're doing research, you'll come across too many things that'll just, like, completely disagree with you. And it's like, well, I guess I gotta include this in the paper now. Some people say, some people say, you know, some sources or whatever. Um, like, if I'm every, I, I, I write some things about linguistics from time to time, and uh, a lot of, a lot, lots of people in linguistics will disagree with each other. Not out of like spite or rivalry or anything, but just because like everybody thinks that language is super interesting and is genuinely excited to learn about different facets. And if you say, well, actually, in this area, people are more likely to do this than this, um, and somebody else disagrees, that just means that there's a really exciting wrinkle that has yet to be discovered or defined clearly. Um, so it's all over the place and impossible to lock down. And I'm super glad that I don't actually professionally study linguistics because I don't think I ever could have the patience to scroll through like all of this stuff and be like, well, okay, let's see what's the sample size on this. Is this reasonable? Can I include this in the whatever? Uh, and it's like when I had originally pitched my thesis, I was like, oh, the my thesis director was like, you should maybe have a minimum of five sources per thing that you're researching i'm like okay uh i am ending up with like 20 sources per video but that's uh my problem. oh that is absolutely magnificent i commend you for that truly like find one thing and be like actually i would like to back this up several more times or i want even yeah, more info on this that i would just suddenly end up with a million sources. i i feel that i i, I really i think like reading source source cited on like papers that like i'm looking through and seeing other papers that i recognize is such a like fun feeling <laughs> Like, uh, I don't know if you're into marine science at all. A little bit, There's yeah. this um, really great book by uh, Rickett something uh, called Between Pacific Tides, and it gets cited a whole bunch because it was uh, one of the earliest, um, I guess, guides about uh, sea critters that were uh, in the Pacific Ocean, like on the, the Pacific coast of the U.S. And uh, I see it all the time whenever I'm, like, doing research on, like, spiny sea urchins or whatever, um, and I'm like, oh, there you are. I also think they're just fun to read the source cited because then I get to see other stuff that I might be interested in. Like, um, there's this one time I was looking at nudibranchs um, and how they eat uh, tube anemones and, like, the food relationship between the two of them because um, nudibranchs will, like, eat some parts of the anemones, but they won't eat them completely because they know that the anemones can regrow and then they can come back later and get more of them. Oh, interesting. It's just so cool. And, uh, you know, there was this one part of it that I was like, wait, the anemone can eject? Why doesn't it just do that? And I, I could go down to the bottom and find the paper about the tube anemone and read that. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Uh, just, it's fun. I, uh, I I'm 100% with you. Like, sources are, are just great. It was also the one point uh, for video four, which was on, like, interactions mm -hmm. with other mesopredators, that when I was going through my sources, I saw something and I was like, oh, something about this name looks familiar. And then I remembered it was my wildlife ecology professor. Oh, that's incredible. And I was like, oh, that's right, Dr. Lewis. He has told us, like, in lectures about, like, oh, this was my project in Colorado on mountain lion and bobcat density in relation to human settlement. That is crazy cool. How do you, uh, is there any way to cite stuff, you know, in a lecture, or do you have to find the paper out of curiosity? No, I'm never going to have to cite a paper again. I mean, so. I'm sure that there is like a citing, yeah, like I'm sure that there is a citing method for when you hear something 
either in a video or in a lecture. Uh, I don't know it offhand. And also I would just be looking at notes for that, but absolutely just went through the whole paper. Like, ah, yes, I've seen some of these images before during lecture slides. <laughs> that is cool. I'm, God, you're, I, I, I'd say you're fortunate that I know it's, uh, well, yeah, you are fortunate. I'm, I'm, I hope you're proud of the work that you put mm -hmm. into uh, to, to make that kind of stuff and get into that research and become liter uh, literate in that particular area of science. That's really cool. Yeah, it's definitely a privilege to go to college mm -hmm. at all and study this, which is part of why I was like more than willing to spend my last like two semesters putting together education for the general public. That's honestly really great. Have you um, heard of that program, Skype a Scientist? I have, yes. It is definitely something that interests me. I like science communication and education. I think it makes it a much better place around here. I'm inclined to agree. Do you offhand uh, happen to know any other good science communication topics that people might be able to uh, look into if they're interested in learning more after this uh, podcast? It can uh, be for the area that you know or the areas not, that you don't or whatever. Not a whole lot. I mean, one thing that I definitely recommend is just following people on Twitter who strike your interest as like, oh, this, especially just researchers of any type of like, I know I follow a squid scientist. Wait, which squid scientist? Is it? Yeah. Uh, if you're on Twitter, follow Sarah McAnulty, which is, she's the coolest squid scientist in the world. Yeah, I think it's that. Um, and I, yeah. I really hope that uh, the other squid scientist I follow doesn't hear me say that because I will be very sad. If, uh, <laughs> Any squid scientists happen to be here on the Warrior Cats podcast? I don't know, man. Ruth Eisenberg. She could be anywhere. Yeah. Uh, who's the Corvid researcher again? I forget her name. Um, I, I follow her too. I do not remember offhand. I know that there's also, um, there's someone who wrote like a little mm -hmm. picture book whose name escapes me. That's very good at just like cute little science comics and things like that, that one of my professors would always include at the end of exams. There's, um, Abby Howard who did junior science, uh, junior science power hour or something like that, like as a webcomic. And I know that she does, she did like dinosaur paleontology stuff, um, and then there's, what's her name? Uh, bio, I know her blog name is like bio, Biologizing or something like that. She, she does um, jellyfish research. Oh, biolog, bi, bio, Biologizable? I'm not sure. <laughs> Whatever. She does um, really cool science communication about uh, invertebrates, I think in particular, and birds too. But hmm. mostly uh, she's a jelly scientist. I found... Yeah. Yeah, I found the one of uh, Rosemary Mosco, Rosemary who Mosco. wrote Birding is My Favorite Video Game. Yeah, Ooh. I've seen a lot of those little Oh, yeah, these just, ones! Oh, you know, my very God. Very cute, very concise. Oh, my, yeah. I see these all the time as well. It's great. All right, yeah. Definitely think the best that you can do for science communication is just follow more people who are talking about science. Definitely. Be and willing to be interested in something. Maybe pick some topic that you're interested in and look more and into There are it. a lot of um, scientists who are great at like keeping their work unpretentious, which I think is very good for uh, mm -hmm. general public access. Like uh, all the scientists that we've talked about here are just like super good at removing all of the layers. Like they don't talk about chemistry or like phospholipids or whatever the... the usual biology stuff that uh, you, you think about whenever you think about your time in school. Uh, no, like, polymers or whatever. It's, it's all just, like, you know, silly facts about jellyfish and stuff. It's great. Yeah, everyone willing to talk mm -hmm. to the general public. Oh, Dr. David Schiffman is pretty good, too. He's all about sharks. He uh, shows up mm -hmm. on Shark Week a lot, which is... I have mixed feelings <laughs> about Shark Week. 
I'll be honest. Mm. It, it used to be really good, and then they kind of like messed it up because they stopped listening to the scientists and started making trying to make stuff more exciting. And it's just kind of a mess right now. But also, um, I live in a in a town that's like basically the entire film industry here is predicated on documentary filmmaking. Oh, nice. And I want to be in the film industry, so I know I'm gonna have to work on some stupid, inaccurate Shark Week things at some point in the future. Uh, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'll have time to reconcile it, but I'm not looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, is there anything else about this book that you want to talk about before we adjourn? Remember there was one point that I remembered like a solid 20 minutes ago <laughs> and then I forgot it um, until you brought it up again just now. But I've heard people say that why on earth is it leaf pool and crow feather when a much better chemistry is between like squirrel flight and crow feather? which I had not considered before I had seen that take on Twitter. But now I'm like, actually, maybe people are right. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense, actually. Like, they had, I guess they spent time together. They they know each other. That God, I like that, too. Now I'm mad. (laughs) Oh, it's got to be Brambleclaw. He's, I guess, our protagonist. Our protagonist has to end up with a love interest because otherwise there's no progression or whatever. It's stupid. I, I, I really don't like the commodification of Squirrel Flight in this book. She's They, they treat her like a prize to be no. won. And I guess that's going to be a problem that persists throughout the series until eventually uh, their their childrens are born and stuff. Um, but, like, man, that's, that's really frustrating that she's, I guess, stopped being a... I don't know. She's she, now she's just playing hard to get. I guess within the narrative of the book, she's uh, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever. If I think about it, does too she much, even get perspective chapters in this? I don't know if she gets. I don't think she gets perspective chapters in this. Now that I think about it, I'm like, this is pretty much only Brambleclaw and Leafy. I think it is. Yeah. <sighs> That's fine. Whatever. God, we don't even get to... Fine, I guess. We'll all appreciate Squirrel Flight enough for everyone. Yeah, this is true. The fandom has uh, turned around on Squirrel Flight in a major way recently, which I appreciate. Uh, and now I can actually call her Squirrel Flight instead of Squirrel Paw, which I also appreciate. I think she gets a perspective chapter, like, right at the beginning, when uh, Brambleclaw is approached by Hawk Frost. Oh, wait, no, that's not right in the beginning. That's just, like, in the middle. But it's at the beginning in my notes, because nothing important happens until then. <laughs> Okay. It's after the giant lake scene. God, it's so cool. What a great book that we read. Thank you so much, my dude, for suffering through this with me. I'm sorry to have inflicted this book upon you. Oh, it's fine. Nice to get back to a Warrior Cats book, even if it is absolutely nothing happening for a whole bunch of chapters. Oh, now you know what you've been missing for uh, all this time. Um, well, I guess you, you, you haven't really left the fandom, have you? Uh, you've been, been here, though. Oh, no, I didn't, like, air quotations, officially join until, like, 2017, 2018. For the first, like, half decade prior, I was just, like, lurking in the shadows, like, hmm, You weren't, cats. like, on the forums or anything? I was, like, actually, I'm playing as your OC fuzzy talon? I was absolutely on the official forums back All in right. 2010. That's what I like to hear. Oh, before we go, actually, um, cool, what, what, uh, what, what clan do you identify as uh, out of these four? Or do you have, like, a fan clan that you feel strongly fan towards? Fan clans are funny as far as that goes. Also... Uh, divides my loyalty in which uh, the primary clan of my Warrior Cats OC story is Shadow Clan River Clan. What? My Warrior Cats OCs are a giant Could, mess. I want to know more about this. I'm sorry. I know I, I was trying to wrap things up, but actually this is far more interesting. Can we talk about this? Scooting my seat back so I can lean in. Uh, yeah. So can, what's the deal with Shadow Clan River Clan? My Warrior Cats OC story has that fun thing where I have attempted to adapt it from sixth grade role playing during recess. <laughs> and our whole thing was so we had Shadow Clan, 
and we had River Clan. And then River Clan got wiped out because there were some of us who were really into warrior mm-hmm. cats, and then some of us who were really into wolves. You know how people are. Absolutely. And so the wolves decided they wanted all the territory. So they took it from River Clan, and then they took it from Shadow Clan. What? And so Shadow Clan was like, okay, well, we can't have that territory anymore. So they moved into River Clan territory. Oh my God. And they were like, I guess we are also River Clan now. And then they made a pact with the wolves that they were like, if you help us take down Thunder Clan, we will give you back Shadow Clan territory. Uh, so then they just decided we're combining into Shadow Clan River Clan. And as I write out my Warrior Cats OC story, I have to kick myself every single time because that's such a long clan title. Shadow Clan River Clan, mm-hmm. huh? That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. I will, um, <laughs> I guess for the for the podcast visualizer, I'll like split the Shadow Clan River Clan down the middle or something like that. That's, that's great. No earthly clue when my uh, Warrior Cats OC stuff will be ready for posting, but working on that in the background. I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Four Trees, our Warrior Cats community podcast. I've been your host, Spencer Grant. I'd like to thank our guest, Invader Fuzzy Talon, for joining us for the last little while. You've been an absolute pleasure to have, and I love the story about your your stuff, man. That's so cool. It's adorable. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Um, before we go and, and do the rest of the outro, I do want to say, uh, if you're at all interested in motion graphics, I would be remiss, um, if I did not mention that I'm doing a little series on my YouTube channel about it. The last episode is about to go up this Friday. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead and listen to that, huh? Might be fun. Might be an enjoyable time for you. I don't know. I'm not the expert here. So, oh wait, yeah. Sorry. I just realized I am an expert. Um, yeah, it, w- it will be fun. And that's my expert opinion. Uh, <laughs> Four Trees is recorded live in front of the studio audience here in Bristol, uh, Druid's Hall of Studios. Our theme was composed and performed by Spencer Chopin-Grant and mixed by Alex Turner. Our graphics and 3D assets were designed by Spencer Diablo-Grant, and our editor is Spencer Pagliacci-Grante. The Warrior Cat series is written by Aaron Hunter and distributed by HarperCollins. Please support the official release. You can find us at the web at spencergrant.co.uk slash fortries or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find our YouTube uploads with auto-generated subtitles and audio visualizations at youtube.com slash spencergrant. Again, I've been Spencer, and you've been beautiful. Bye!